Welcome to Retirement Unlimited with Randy Barkley. Retirement Unlimited is an informative weekly radio program dedicated to offering factual information and sound advice for those wanting to know more about retirement planning. Proper advice depends on complete analysis of all the facts and circumstances. Information given on this program is in the nature of general financial comment and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific situation. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. This is to protect your assets. Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent. California license number 0518567. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated. Tricord Advisors Inc. is a registered investment advisor. Now, here's Randy Barkley. Welcome to Retirement Unlimited. This is the radio program that is dedicated to helping you make smart decisions about your money. I'm your host, Randy Barkley, and I'm the president of Tricord Advisors. I'm here with Jeremiah Lee, and we'll be talking to you about a couple different things together. We are certified financial planners. Jeremiah is also an attorney. And if you'd like to know more about our company, I really encourage you to go to our website, which is www.retirementunlimited.com. Or if you have questions, just simply call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. Now, every week what I do is I divide the program into three parts. The first part is what I refer to as retirement update. And the second one is tactical asset management. And the third one is news you can use. Now, in the first segment of the program today in retirement update, we're going to talk about something that's really a hot topic. And that is, should you buy a home today? If you don't have a home where you can trade equity, do you jump into this marketplace and buy for the first time, particularly if you're the first time buyer? You know, there's a lot of people that are saying we're going to have a correction interest rates are going to go up. The good thing to do is to uh, tie in your mortgage because these low interest rates. And if you're out there looking, if you're looking to, if you're listening to us right now and you've been looking for a home, you know how difficult it is to find a fairly priced home. And I think that's really the key of it. I mean, interest rates, Jeremiah, are one of the key factors for driving the marketplace right now. That's right. I mean, th thanks for having me, Randy. Thanks for including me in the show. Everyone, I think, sees this, that the rates are extremely low and prices have gone up. And so what does that leave you? Especially, like you said, a first-time homebuyer. Uh, the rates right now, they're the lowest they've been in the last 50 years, which is incredible. And one of the comments was saying there's been eight months that were lower than today's rates. And those were all during this pandemic. <laughs> so we're still in this low interest rate environment. Yeah, and conversely, what we're seeing is that home prices, I mean, just, just since, um, you know, they did this thing in February, but it's up 12.2%. I think it's up higher than that if we go back over the last year or so. So prices are just being driven high by this demand. And of course, these low interest rates. I think I think the pandemic has also contributed to this also, don't you? Yeah, especially in our region. I mean, this inland right. region, people are leaving LA, they're leaving uh, the beach areas, um, realize they don't have to commute um, as, as they thought they would. So they're moving into this region and it, it's making it difficult. The supplies yeah. of houses are extremely low and houses get gobbled up very quickly. So the question remains, you know, interest rates are low, prices are high, it's competitive out there. Should you jump in? Should you right. spend more than you think you want to for the house? And Should you stretch yourself over the line? And it's tempting to do, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's the question is, where is the line? I mean, traditional right. lending, which a lot of people, uh, when you go to a bank, you're going to look at this, they do your debt to income ratio. This takes your gross monthly income, you know, what you're receiving and comparing that to what the debt is. And so 28% is a normal, banks look at that, they don't want you to spend more than 28% of your gross monthly income on your home mortgage. Mm -hmm. and, and similar to that, they won't, don't want you to have more than 36% of your total debt. Now those are you know, bank requirements, those are rules of thumb. Th those are 
are, I think, difficult for a lot of people. I mean, anyone who I know that lives in LA spends closer to 50% of their right. income on housing. Right. It, it's just a dynamic of living in California. If you go outside of, you go outside of California, uh, they almost laugh at us, but it's been a typical occurrence is that you spend more for your housing here. Maybe it's typical on both sides of the coast, like New York mm. versus California. But if you go in the center of the country, people are not spending that much. So it's just, it's just, you know, it's customary, I guess, for California to be a higher cost for housing. Yep. When you look at say 2007, 2000, just before 2008, 2006, 2007, yeah, I know people that felt the market was going to leave them. If they didn't right. buy a home, then they were never going to be able to afford one. And I think people are seeing you know, similar feelings. If I don't buy a home today, I'm never going to get one. I think there's a lot of macroeconomic differences between then and now. Um, and so I don't think I see the same risk. But I guess where do you fall on the, maybe we'll do a yes or no. Where, where do you fall on the? Well, again, I think, I think it really depends on the household. I think that if, if it takes two earners to pay the mortgage, I feel more uncomfortable with that. I mean, so many households are dependent on both husband and wife working. And it also, I think the other thing is how much savings do you have after you buy the home? What do you got left over? What, what's your cushion? You know, we talk about having emergency and reserve funds. And if you've, and again, that's where the stretching comes. You know, if you stretch down to that last dollar to get in that home. Yeah. If you get into a correction, you could be very vulnerable. Right. Right. And a job change. I mean, a lot of people, they, they lock in a good mortgage, they lock in a good rate. As long as their income stays the same, even if the house prices go down, a lot of people could still remain in the home. Right. You know, because it's not just a financial asset. It's also the place you live. And one of the things that surprised me that is, is that millennials are moving less than their parents, which is kind of surprising to me. I, I thought that stat would be they would be more mobile than yeah. than um, than their parents. So it, it could be that millennials are being more rooted. Yeah. Than what we realized. Yeah. And it could be also be the job prospects. I mean, uh, years ago you had to go where the job was, you had to move. And so the freelance or the remote work, I think wasn't as prevalent. Whereas today, I think there's a lot of millennials who, even though their job may move or they may apply to a job out of the area, they're able to stay same location. Uh, yeah, but- I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I agree with that. And again, getting into the pros and cons, I think clearly one of the reasons that people want to get into a home is they want to be able to control their environment. You know, if they're renting, the renter, the owner of the property could sell the house. They can raise the rents. I think you're in a more vulnerable situation in that, in that environment. Yeah. But still, still at the same point in time, when you get into a house, I love these stats. You know, it's a lot of things I'm reading. It says, well, if you put 10% down, if your house goes up this, then you make 300% on your 10% down. And I always, I always kind of grin at that because a house is expensive. You own a house, the acquisition cost is always the cheapest part of the transaction. The maintenance of a house, maintaining the house, the paying the taxes, the insurance, the, you know, some, and everything's going to, you know, they're going to have things going wrong with your house over time. And it's going to cost you more than, than most people realize. And I think that's the factor that I really bring into it. That's right. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, on, on one side you have, like the way kind of, you said that was kind of almost inflation proofing your um, housing costs. Mm-hmm. You know, you, no one's going to raise your rent. No one's going to kick you out if it's your home. On the other side, you got to maintain it. You got to keep it. And, and the risk there, we talked about, you know, extending yourself past the line. That line is what you can afford. Right. Um, and, and if you have a job change, how much, you know, if your income mm-hmm. fell by 20% because you had to get a different job, is, is that allow you to, to stay in the home? Mm-hmm. It, and that's a little bit, I think, of stress testing your budget when you look at this. Of saying, yeah. okay, what, what could happen and still be able to afford this mortgage? And this last tax bill that Trump got through, it lowered the amount that you could deduct. So if you're a high income earner, you, you're limited as to what you can deduct for as far as property taxes. So that doesn't give you 
all the advantage that that previous owners had. Another factor is that we've talked to clients about multi-generational properties. I, I think that's really a good outcome because parents typically have equity. And there are a lot of home builders now or homes that can convert with that have guest house provisions or something like that. I was just in one this last weekend. It was really good that the, the mother moved in and they bought this house. They turned it into a multi-generational. So there's different ways to skin the cat, so to speak, mm-hmm. to accomplish and get what you want. So anyway, I think, you know, the, the, the jury's out. I think the, uh, the proof is really comes down to what the purchase price is in relationship to your income and savings. There's a lot of factors that you want to take a look at. If you get to that situation and you want somebody just to kind of help you through that process, you know, give us a call, go to our website. We'd be more than happy to help you kind of hopefully make the right choice and the right decision so that um, you're not going to come back and regret it down the road someplace. Stay tuned for our next section. I'm going to talk about tactical asset management. You know, retirement is supposed to be a secure time. Are you secure? Do you and your loved ones have the information needed to make the right decisions about retirement? You need counsel, not another salesperson, an advisor that looks out for your interest more than theirs. This is Dennis Prager, and I'd like you to call Randy Barkley, a certified financial planner who's been serving the Inland Empire for over 26 years. He's a retirement specialist who works for you on all the important and often confusing things that determine how comfortable you are in retirement. Call Randy Barkley for a free consultation and learn for yourself what I've learned he can be trusted. Randy Barkley, 888-627-8371, 888-627-8371. Or visit me, Randy Barkley, at retirementunlimited.com. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back. This is the section of the program that we uh, refer to as tactical asset management. One of the one of the questions I keep getting from clients and prospective clients is that, my goodness, you know, the Democrats want to raise the taxes. That's going to be clearly a detriment to growth. And um, we're looking at this from a from a from a lot of different factors. I mean, we talk about it every week, don't we? I mean, this, this is something that's really forefront in our thinking. Yeah, we, we, we uh, I guess, can't get enough, <laughs> you know, in the sense of talking about the, the economy and where it's headed and what's going to happen next. You know, we don't have a crystal ball. Uh, we do our best to not make predictions. We do our best to track things, to keep watching it, to keep a steady hand on the rudder and be aware of the sea changes and, and keep watching things. So, you know, we're, we're not going to predict where the economy is going to be next year or five years from now. But from what we're seeing, uh, I think we're looking forward and, and seeing growth. We, you know, we anticipate the economy will be bigger than you know, it will grow between now and next year. And just to kind of give our listening audience kind of a sense of here, um, Biden has laid out two ambitious proposals. One is the $2.3 trillion infrastructure. And on top of that is a $1.8 trillion proposal for childcare, education, and paid leave on top of the $1.9 trillion in COVID-19 relief. So that kind of tops out as a cool $6 trillion, folks. And seriously, the only way that's going to get paid back is is through higher taxes. There's no question about that. Yeah, inflating it, just trying to, inflating it away or just ignoring it. I mean, the the cost on that would be significant. So I I think you're right. I think, you know, historically, we're in a low tax environment. Right. 
Um, and I, I see us getting back to a higher tax environment. Yeah, I, I show clients when they talk about, you know, the concern of higher taxes, there's a, I go on Google and I, I just type in U.S. tax rate, historical tax rate, and it pops up. And most people are really surprised that, that post-World War II, the tax rate went up to 95%. That's right, folks. Listen to me, 95%. So if you made above like $200,000 in the late 40s and through the 50s, the government took, the federal government took 95% of your declared income. Yeah, that marginal, highest marginal tax rate. <laughs> oh, it's, it's unreal. I mean, to, to get to those levels to work hard and know that your next dollar coming in, right. you're going to get five cents of it. <laughs> so what we're at right now is something much less than that. And it is, it is something that we are prepared for. But for most of our clients, this tax issue is not going to be a significant deal because he's going after people making $400,000 a year and more, millionaires on capital gains. He wants to convert that to ordinary income. And I think the caveat is he's still got to get it through Congress. Yeah. That's not going to happen easily. Right. And I think that the, the goodwill that would be lost if they were to shove that through. Right. Uh, I think there's you know both sides of the aisle. I think there'd be people up in arms um, angry mm -hmm. about that. And I mean, a lot of these are going to affect uh, really strong earners. You know, some of the other things he's proposed is kind of the, the step up in basis at the time of death. That would affect a lot of people. To me, that's a much scarier one. So open that up a little bit. What what sure. happens there? What do you think? Yeah. So at, at, at the time of someone's death, they own property, either stocks or uh, real property. Time of their death, they whoever inherits it usually gets a step up in basis, meaning if someone bought it for $100,000 and the time of their death, it was worth $500,000, they get that step up. So that when the, the inheriting generation sells it, they don't have to pay capital gains. So it kind of washes out capital gains that were accrued during someone's life. And for anyone who inherits property from their from their parents or uh, stocks, I'm thinking like farms, businesses, things like that. It would be it would be a terrific burden on the inheriting family to figure out first of all what's the basis, and then secondly to come up with the taxes depending upon the size of the inheritance. Yeah, we're not talking about wealthy people in a lot of these. We're just talking about normal folks. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one example could be a husband and wife who are married. One of them passes away. Currently, there's a step up in basis in California. If you have community property, you get a hundred percent step up in basis. It's great. If they were to do away with that, if the laws were to change, you could have a situation where a, a, a now widow or a now widower, um, their house, their spouse passes away. They go to sell their home. And they may owe a significant tax bill that they were able to shelter previously when they were married, but now that they've um, the other one's passed away, they could lose part of the deduction after two years, as well as have to be subject to capital gains. Yeah. So I think I think again I think taxes are going to be a Big deal, but I think on also at this, you know, what we're monitoring, what we're reading a lot about is first of all the resistance in Congress, you know, both on the House side as well as the Senate side, and even the more progressive uh, advocates of tax. What they want to do is go to wealth tax, not just income tax. I think the likelihood of that happening is is virtually zero. Mm -hmm. But there's a conversation. Of course, it gets people up in arms when they start talking about this. Um, the other thing Biden is looking at is he's meeting with all of the other developed countries, the G7, and they want to expand it to the G20. And they're talking about putting on what they call the, I, I guess, the guilt. <laughs> Not to you about how you pronounce this. It's the it's a it's a global intangible low taxed income. That's a mouthful. Uh, so the acronym is it looks like guilt here. But it is to have a minimal tax if you move your headquarters to someplace like Ireland. Ireland is going to protest this immensely. Yeah, part of the article that I've read that articles that reference this is 
a lot of the havens, the tax havens are not on board yet. And of I course. don't think they ever would be. You know, they have no interest in um, changing their, acknowledging this and changing the way that they do their taxation. This is for, you know, major developed countries that have high taxes that some of these companies are, are leaving. I mean, a lot of this stuff we look forward, you know, from our conversations, we see higher taxes coming, you know, not immediate necessarily, but, you know, people who are saving for retirement, you know, think 20 years from now, I don't think anyone that we've talked to or, you know, could rightly assume they're going to have lower taxes right. 20 years from now um, than they do today. Yeah, I think, I think taxes, um, you know, Reagan dropped the tax rate, you know, Kennedy dropped the tax rate down to 75 and then Reagan dropped it all the way down to, you know, to 28 actually percent. I mean, now, now it's, it's come back up over subsequent administrations, but the COVID event is almost like a World War II event. I mean, the amount of money that was pumped into the economy and the debt that we took on, it's going to have to be paid back. And people that say back, I don't want, I don't want to have pay higher taxes. It's not realistic to kind of just to, you know, have a blind eye of all this, because this is going to be uh, a cost factor that we're going to have to go through. Now, again, the economy has grown significantly, and a lot of people have been rescued, literally, by the federal government with all these particular programs. I mean, it's it's had a phenomenal thing, but the, but the issue, you know, the issue is it fair? Is it beneficial, or is it wise? I don't think any of us can answer that question. And depending upon what your circumstances are, uh, obviously, if you were trying to keep a roof over your head and food on the table, you were very thankful for the money that you got. You know, we can talk about the moral dilemmas and all the other issues, but I think what's coming down the pike is higher taxes, don't you? I think so. I mean, inflation, higher taxes, we've talked about both those a lot lately. Um, and you get up both, um, but I don't think we're not, I don't think we're going to have neither. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. But, you know, our newsletter, uh, we just, in fact, we'll be sending out the newsletter this week. And if you'd like to have a free copy of that, just either call our office at 951 six eight four seven zero one one or just simply go to our website and www.retirementunlimited.com because in the newsletter we talk specifically about inflation we talk about this higher cost that's coming at us and how is it going to be paid you know the higher debt levels and all those things and we'd be more than happy to send that out to you we want you to be informed we want you to be aware of the economy and the changes out there so that you can make the best decisions for your financial life. Stay tuned for our next section. We're going to talk about news you can use. Hi, this is Hugh Hewitt. Hey, if you're retired or approaching retirement, listen up. Retirement planning is critical to your financial health. And like choosing the right doctor, your financial planner must be able to understand your concerns, help you navigate through your retirement, which can be filled with uncertainty, volatility. Certified financial planner Randy Barkley has been assisting clients for 30 years by helping them understand all the information that to most of us can be overwhelming. Go to retirementunlimited.org. Or call Randy Barkley for a no-obligation appointment at 888-627-8371. That's 888-627-8371, retirementunlimited.org. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back. This is the section of the program that we refer to as news you can use. Um, there's a lot of conversation about 5G. In fact, I was talking to an IT person. He said, have you noticed that there's a lot of disruption in your service from your internet provider? And he said, the reason for that is that they are laying a lot of line around Riverside and I'm sure throughout the Inland Empire. And he said, there's, it's going to be disruptive and it'll continue to be disruptive for a time. 
So the question is, and I'm kind of I'm kind of laying this on your shoulders a little bit more than on mine, Jeremiah. I mean, 5G is here. This is the this is the title of the article. If you'd like it, we'll send it out to you. It says 5G is here. Will anyone care? What what's what's the biggest advantage to having 5G right now, do you think? Yeah, that's great. Great topic, I think. Uh, so 5G is as a lot of people know, it's faster and it can support more devices. So you, you have your home internet and you're doing something, you have your phone. If you had multiple laptops all of a sudden start up trying to use your internet, your internet's going to bog down. Uh, the difference with 5G is you could have you know a thousand laptops in your home. It's not going to bog down. It keeps going. Seriously, that much difference? Hugely, yeah. And the speed is a lot faster as well. I mean, for people who are just going on the internet to research things, checking email, won't see a big difference. But where the differences come with 5G is gaming, the people who are doing these, these huge data intensive um, ideas. The, the biggest one I see coming is I think we're going to exist a lot more in the cloud than we do currently. Um, you know, our laptops, our cell phones are just going to be portals and everything's going to be in the cloud. The, the applications we want, the, the data we want, and, and that type of connection, that consistent back and forth requires some really strong um, networks. And then 5G is what that is. So the technology is incredible. The question I always get is, where is it, right? We've been talking for right. about 5G for years. And a lot of this rollout, you know, stuff we've been reading it is it, it, it's kind of a chicken and the egg, you know, that, that you can't have 5G phones that are functional and amazing and do all the things you want them to do until you have the network. And they're not going to put in the network until they have the revenue <laughs> that right. they see for, you know, right. And so the, the, the companies, the, the companies behind 5G are making the investment. They're putting billions of dollars into this to, to build out the, in, the infrastructure, to develop the network. They had to bid the right to do this. I mean, this was a very expensive yeah. proposition for yeah. these companies. Yeah, well, I guess a little technical. I mean, the, the five, 5G goes over the airwaves, you know, the, the, the bandwidth. And there's, you know, real high frequency, mid frequency, low frequency. And the, the high frequency uh, is really short. You, you know, so if you're in uh, Angel Stadium, you know, some of these Dodger Stadiums, some of these places, they can put these little nodes all around the stadium and you have this great mesh network. That's not going to work over highways and roads. You have right. to move down to the mid-range, um, the mid, mid-range band. And a lot of that is government and military. And so you know, there's a little bit of um, squeezing out of what bandwidth they can use and have to buy the rights to it and auction off those rights. So for someone to walk in and buy all those rights, they can hold the whole industry captive. They can monopolize mm-hmm. it, but that's not what's happening. It's just getting the, the rights for all this stuff. But the question we come back to is, is how do you, what do you do with this? Like right. individual as a consumer, it's interesting. It'll be fun when it gets here. But um, when you look at the kind of investment world, there's, there's a few different ways to play this. There's first, there's the providers, right. you know, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. They're the ones that eventually that will be receiving income from this. You know, they're going to make that available to people. But a lot of the studies I've been reading, it, it doesn't look like you're paying a whole lot more for 5G or that you will be. It's just that it's going to become available and, and you're going to move to the 5G. So if a network, say T-Mobile, didn't have 5G, they're going to lose a lot of people. Yeah, so one of the things I read was that like phones, the new the new version of the phones that have 5G on them, they'll they'll have the cheaper, it'll be about the same cost, but they want a longer term contract with mm-hmm. you and things like that yeah, to help compensate for their risk. Yeah, and that's coming. That's I mean, not hugely here yet, but it's coming. The other kind of plays is the networks. I mean, you have Nokia, Ericsson, Samsung. They're the ones who are actually doing the hardware to build the thing. There's a lot of companies that are going to profit from this because they're mm-hmm. going to sell a lot of products. The other one I think is interesting is the towers. Um, these towers already exist throughout the city, but they're they're going to need more of them. You know, these oh, networks really? are going to be tighter together to make this consistent so it's blanket. This line of sight kind of thing. I mean, they have to be tighter together because they have to be. Yeah, not not quite that bad, but that's the idea. Like in order to get this bandwidth and this connectivity, they have to have more of these towers. So some of the tower companies, American Tower, Crown Castle, they have land leases all over. 
Um, I, when I was by the law firm, I did a number of them on the, on the, on the receiving side uh, of trying to deal with these because they put these towers up all over the place. Um, it, it's an interesting play. We'll see where this unfolds. There's a lot of information here. If you'd like to have a copy of this article, we'd be more than happy to send it out to you. It's called 5G is here. Will anyone care? Just call us at our office at 951-684-7011 or just simply go to our website at www.retirementunlimited.com. Until next week, folks, may you grow in wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Retirement Unlimited with Randy Barkley. For more information about today's show or other questions regarding your retirement planning, call Randy at 951-684-7011. That's 951-684-7011. Remember, retirement planning is a process, not a product. So call Randy at 951-684-7011 or visit his website at retirementunlimited.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another edition of Retirement Unlimited. Proper advice depends on complete analysis of all the facts facts and circumstances, the information given on this program is in the nature of general financial comment and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific situation. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. This is to protect your assets. Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent. California license number 0518567. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated. Tricord Advisors Inc. is a registered investment advisor.